Hey everybody, Tim here with Boozy Bracketology, and we are here to decide another round in our best fantasy and sci-fi author bracket. Arthur C. Clarke and Rama too wrote some wise words I want to open with tonight. In my life, I have found two things of priceless worth, learning and loving. Nothing else, not fame, not power, not achievement for its own sake, can possibly have the same lasting value. For when your life is over, if you could say, I have learned and I have loved, you will also be able to say, I have been happy. And I just thought that that was a great word to start off with. So let's meet the people that I, I guess I love. Uh, let's start out first with in Chicago, Illinois, where Jay is waiting to make some picks. Jay, my friend, how you doing? What you drinking? And tell us a little about yourself. Feeling a little poorer tonight, Tim. <laughs> uh, everybody on the panel knows this, but uh, immediately before the recording started for this episode, I uh, finally got a winner in our six-month-long Queen of Hearts uh, style promotional giveaway on my stream. Uh, and the winner is walking away with $990 and a shiny new tax form. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually, I'm doing okay. It's it's It took long enough. Uh, I am drinking... Uh, the same thing I always do, uh, Siesta Key Spiced Rum, the spiciest rum of Siesta. Jay, do you mind refreshing us on what the name of your stream is, just for those of who might be joining us on episode seven for some reason? Yeah, for the three people in the podcast space who have no idea who I am, it's uh, twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage. Courage is spelled with the letter K. And we are glad to have you here. Uh, next, we stay in the Midwest, where Brian Nash is in Muscatine, Iowa. Brian, same questions to you. Uh, life is good. I I do follow Jay. Uh, I follow Jay every Thursday, because um, after Jay finishes her stream, then you could jump over to my stream on Twitch, me and LK Jeremy, who geek trivia every Thursday night. So, um, yeah, life is good. And tonight I am drinking Dragon's Milk White. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Bourbon barrel aged white stout, 6% ABV, and it's one of my favorites. And it's perfectly on brand. Oh, it's such a good one. Yes, it is. Well, we are glad to have you here. Uh, heading a little further south to the state of Texas, Stephen, how you doing and what you drinking? Well, today is a monumental moment in my life. Because today I hold in my hands right now. My very first, Dr. Pepper, Zero Sugar, Strawberries and Cream. So, you are here to witness it in all its carbonated glory. <laughs> okay, so if you've ever had, like, those strawberry hard candies that look like a peppermint swirl, that's the exact flavor of them. Like yeah. the strawberries and cream thing from Werther's. <laughs> so, it's a liquid version of that. Okay. That's my entire... So, yeah, it's, it's you know, I've got 11 more to go. Let's do it. Sounds delicious. Heading east from Texas and across the Gulf of Mexico, we find Carmela in Jacksonville, Florida. Carmela, same questions to you tonight. Hi. Um, uh, today I've got um, from Clown Shoes, which is up in New England, uh, their Lionhearted Sour Ale, um, which I enjoy very much. It makes a good sound. Um, and if you don't know me, uh, I am one of the hosts of Trivial Warfare, uh, which is a pub trivia style podcast that comes out every other week. Um, and I am also the host of Foreplay, which is a connections puzzle show that comes out every Friday. We just finished our 11th or 12th season. We just finished this season. I'll be back in another month. Um, and yeah, great to be here. 
and it is great to have you. And finally, heading straight up 95 to Raleigh, North Carolina, it's Jeff Woodhead. Jeff, how you doing, and what you drinking? I'm doing great. Uh, I am uh, finishing off some of my Passover. Uh, of course, Passover, you can't drink beer, you can't drink whiskey. Uh, that's long gone now, but I still have some cider left. So uh, this is the Molly Chomper Bent Apple Cider from Lansing, North Carolina. Uh, Lansing is... Uh, Basically, a part of North Carolina that forgot to join Tennessee when he seceded from us back in the 1790s, uh, and it's quite tasty. Uh, so, a lot of great cideries in Western North Carolina, along with all the legendary good booze out there. Uh, give it a try when you can. All right. Well, I am drinking. Uh, I picked this up when I was down in the St. Augustine, Jacksonville area. Uh, it's the I-10 West Coast IPA. Yeah, you're still drinking that, huh? <laughs> yeah, from uh, Intuition, Intuition Ale Works. It is so. a pretty good one. I do appreciate that you got that sound effect in so that people don't know you're drinking the same can as our last recording. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I had something different from Jacksonville, but... Oh, who needs continuity? <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, well, we have reached our sweet 16, so let's get right into it. We're starting off with what is probably going to be the most contentious pick of the first round. We're starting with fire. Jay, you kick us off. J.R.R. Tolkien versus Neil Gaiman. I don't want to. What do you do? (laughs) Go. Pass? Can I I pass? Is pass an option? No. Well, (laughs) balls. Um, We we have... have two of the the greatest authors in their genre of all time here going head to head and here's here's the thing we all knew it was going to come down to to matches like this where it's just i don't know that there's a wrong answer uh and yet somehow we have been tasked by uh the the gods of fate the fine fine folks behind boozy bracketology and the fact that we had nothing better to do at this time on a tuesday uh to make these important decisions um when it, when it comes to J.R.R. Tolkien, I, the less I have to say, the better, frankly, because you know who he is. You know what he's done. You know the legacy and the impact that he's had on not just the genre, but on the greater world of literature and even beyond that. Without J.R.R. Tolkien, we don't have Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, we don't have the 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 renaissance of tabletop gaming that we've had in the last couple decades. Uh, we, we don't have billion dollar movies and i don't have hairy feet fetishes so you know he's got value there but but neil gaiman uh might be the greatest living fantasy author uh that we have and i i don't even want to put the maybe neil gaiman is prolific he is well respected he has written amazing things on amazing topics that touch all edges of the concept of fantasy so i guess what it comes down to is are you sure i can't pass i am 100 percent certain I I hate to say this, but I think on the strength of their collective bibliographies, the slimmest of nods have to go, and this feels gross as a nerd to say. You have to understand this. I'm giving my vote to Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman jumps out to an early 1-0 lead on the slimmest of margins. Brian, do you agree? Well... These are, Jay is not wrong. These are legends. Uh, One living, one pretty much set the bar 
and set the standard for the fantasy genre as we know it. Um, <laughs> I I love both of these authors, no question. I, this to me, this should be the the final. Really, this this could very easily have been the final had things gone differently. Both of these deserve to be the champion, but we have to make a choice between one or the other. Um, I I love Neil Gaiman. I love J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, personal preferences, I have devoured every P. Moore I can get my hand. I'm still working my way through Neil Gaiman. Have not been disappointed by anything that he wrote, but as someone who playing Dungeons and Dragons over 40 years, I cannot vote against John Ronald Tolkien. Tolkien, he gets my vote. And J.R.R. Tolkien pulls even at one apiece as we turn this over to Stephen. Hey, there we go. We finally caught up. All right, so why are we all here today? Why do we read a plethora of fantasy novels written for people our age? Why Why is it a respected genre, as respected as it gets as a genre thing? The answer is J.R.R. Tolkien. Not because of the Lord of the Rings, although that certainly helps, or even the Hobbit or the Silmarillion, but because, as a professor, Tolkien wrote an essay once called Beowulf, the Myth and the Monsters. And in this essay, he points out that every fucking idiot that studied Beowulf and wrote a scholarly uh, tome about it ignored Grendel, Grendel's mom and the dragon, and tried to pull out small tidbits of history from it. And Tolkien, as a Oxford professor at the time, stood up and said, you idiots, the point of these stories is the monsters. That's what we're here for. That's what re the reason that that text is preserved is not because it gives us a slight idea that maybe the Goths came from northern Denmark. It's because there are fucking monsters in it, and that speaks to us humans in a greater, deeper way than any other boring text could. That's why he spent his entire career in academia being yelled at by all of his deans because he wouldn't do any work, that, or at least they thought he wasn't doing any work on any of his language. Because, uh, you know, he's a great professor of entomology, but he seems to be producing no scholarly work, and it pisses them off. They don't understand everything he's writing in Middle-Earth is a scholarly work on language because he cares about fantasy and he sees it as a vessel to take these concepts and give it to people in a way that affects us deeper and touches us much longer than any sort of stupid textbook he can write. And because he justifies that genre and he gives us this thing that it comes out and critics think we're all stupid for reading it, but we can't help but not read it because we love the Lord of the Rings. It goes on and on and on. He is the reason the genre exists. He's the reason this bracket exists. There's a reason why you can divide fantasy so easily into pre-token and post-token. It's the reason why no one has the balls to write anything with a magic ring in it anymore in fantasy, because you'll be accused of ripping off token because that is the touchstone for all fantasy. Don't get me wrong, I fucking love Neil Gaiman. I think he's a brilliant author. I think he works in so many genres so well, but Neil Gaiman is writing in a dimly lit back room for some pulp magazine that no one ever heard of if J.R.R. Tolkien never sits down and writes The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien gets the vote. And a passionate vote there for J.R.R. Tolkien has him on the brink of the Elite Eight. 
Carmella, you said you're going to throw fists on this fight. <laughs> Where is your vote going? <laughs> I did. I did say I would throw hands, uh, and I did say I would throw hands for Neil Gaiman, and that's true. Um, I love both of these authors. I, I've read them endlessly. Um, what Tolkien has done for the genre and for literature as a whole cannot be denied, and I will never take that from him. I reread Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit fairly often. Um, they're books that I love. Neil Gaiman means a lot to me personally. Um, there was a point in my life where um, I read a lot. The fact that I'm sitting here talking about authors should be testament that I read quite a bit. But there was a point in my life where I just could not read anything. No books, no anything. And um, when I was climbing out of that hole, I remembered, oh, I read I'd read Ocean at the End of the Lane. I'd read Good Omens at one point. And I was like, well, let me see if I can read Good Omens. Because that's fun. And I could do that. And I did that. And then I read The Ocean at the End of the Lane again. And then I read um, Stardust. And then Coraline. And then I, I absorbed everything that he had written up to that point inside of a year. And because <laughs> it was 2015, I wrote him a, a message on Tumblr. And I told him about what was happening and and i thanked him and he had he wrote back to me and uh was so pleased and he is just he's an incredible person um he can do anything uh i part of me kind of is like that 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 really cynical part of like oh i hate you because you can do everything and it kind of feels like that i mean he won a hugo award for a hp lovecraft and sherlock holmes crossover fan fiction that he wrote <laughs> just he's amazing Tolkien Tolkien did what he did very well but he made one world he did that world exceedingly well it's a world that got built upon by other people as the history went on but it's still one world Neil Gaiman does a lot and I'm not just talking about the Sandman um which is an incredible world but he's just built all of these things you know the London below um the the world he built with Terry Pratchett for Good Omens. Um, I love Neil Gaiman. He's he's gonna get my vote. So for me, it's Neil Gaiman. No, for fuck's sake! And... You knew it was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was gonna happen. Here's where we're at. Right off the bat, we have a two to two tie, and I'm not sure that anybody is surprised that we're here. And we're at a new round, so that means that anybody has a chance to lodge a buzzer beater to try to sway Jeff one way or the other. That means that somebody is going to get 30 seconds, if they so choose, in order to try to sway Jeff. Carmella is weighing in heavily. <laughs> she was first. She gets it. Everybody chomping at the bit here, but oh Carmella God. weighed in first. <laughs> Carmella people. gets the buzzer beater. Okay, so another thing that Neil Gaiman has, in my opinion, over J.R.R. Tolkien is he writes a, it, he's also, Tolkien was a product of his time, and I get that. Um, he writes a very diverse range of characters. Um, Tolkien has a unique, it's not misogyny, but it's in that women didn't really write at all in his books. Like in Lord of the Rings, there's maybe five women in the entire genre or entire uh, set of those books. Um, whereas Neil Gaiman writes, queer characters and characters of color and trans characters and he's got that going for him as well again it's probably a bit of time um again just means a lot to me but he's uh, he's got more reach and he's still writing 
And to me, I think that puts him over Tolkien. So the buzzer Rules beater has been me lodged. From counterpoint saying <laughs> <laughs> the buzzer beater has been lodged. Uh, Jeff guys. cast the deciding vote. Will it be Neil Gaiman or J.R.R. Tolkien? Guys, uh, all right. I don't know who it was. I think it was Dwight Eisenhower, who I'm paraphrasing here. But, uh, you know, some of my friends support J.R.R. Tolkien. Some of my friends support Neil Gaiman. And I always agree with all of my friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's another podcaster and very talented sports writer named Brian Phillips, whose phraseology I want to borrow here for a second. There's a question hanging over this podcast like a sarcastic and not all that into it demon hanging over a planning meeting for London's Ring Road circa 1970. That question is, how much does being a great writer matter to being a great science fiction and fantasy writer? This seems like a silly question at first, right? But so much about science fiction and fantasy is about world construction. And literally nobody on Earth has ever constructed a world as intricately and as carefully as J.R.R. Tolkien has with Middle Earth. Dude wrote how many languages to go with it uh, so that he could... Four. Brian is, is establishing that there are four languages in Middle Earth that he just constructed out of thin air. I guess dude was a linguist, so sure. Good job. Uh... If your goal is to get immersed in a world, it helps that that world is intricately constructed and well-rendered. But it's the well-rendered thing I come back to because in some ways, being a great writer helps you render an imaginative world. Tolkien was an incredible world builder, maybe not the best writer. Some of his prose can get a little clunky and dense at times, And especially when you go and compare that to someone like Neil Gaiman, who you can pick up and immediately be blown away by the force of his descriptiveness and the empathy that he has for the characters, the way he is able to place you within a particular character. Now, Neil Gaiman's world building, you know, the the worlds that Gaiman has built, and they are beautiful and richly imagined, but they're very much like ours. They're our worlds, but with a few crazy or creepy or interesting or fun elements to them. So I'm back to this question of what does the good writing get you? And I think the answer is that the, the, the great writing gets you into that frame of mind where you are really able to put yourself into a character of a Neil Gaiman in a way where you know, maybe I can enjoy the exploits of Aragorn or Frodo or whoever, but Tolkien's prose doesn't really get me into those characters as well as with literally any main character in a Gaiman novel. And so that is why I think if you're going to have a brilliantly imagined world, it helps to immerse yourself within a character within that world. Which is why I have to give this Neil Gaiman. Because being a great science fiction fantasy writer, I think requires being a great writer. Because it requires you not only world building 
but character building and putting yourself within the totality of a character and feeling everything that character feels within that moment. And that is the beauty of this genre, is being able to experience what other people experience in completely off-the-wall and out-there scenarios that say something about who we are and what we experience. And I just think Neil Gaiman captures that better than Tolkien or better than a lot of other people. So Neil Gaiman's moving on, y'all. Muted? Tim, you're muted. <laughs> wow. Your bug has bitten. Wow. Um, it's all right. This whole thing is a sham Steve, and a mockery can... by now, so. <laughs> I, I expected no less. <laughs> Come on, Steven. This isn't the first time I've pissed you off on Boozy. <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure where that was going to go. <sighs> um, I had to God, I thought it was going to be 4-1 Tolkien, but I wanted to make sure conversation got started. I yeah. did not necessarily expect the upset. But um, the important thing is that's the vote. end of the episode. <laughs> no. So, no the totally Jeff, good. Jeff already took 35 minutes to cast the vote. We don't have time for the recap. <laughs> yeah, we're all like limited to 12 seconds for every other matchup. And we still got to deal with Douglas Adams versus Octavia Butler. So, God damn it, let's go. All right. Let's oh, yeah, on. you're in the hurry now, Jeff. Thanks. Uh-huh. <laughs> let's, let's, let's move this on. Neil Gaiman upsets J.R.R. Tolkien. And we have wow! You don't like it? Get in the Stop comments. Stop the steal! Stop <laughs> <Yeah>. the steal! <laughs> oh, not no. even close. No, no, okay, no, okay, no, no. okay. Wait, we're, we're not going to have a January sixth element here. Let's just cut let, that down now. Let, let, let's rein it back in here as we move to our next matchup. Uh, we've got the number fourteen seed, Philip Pullman taking on the number seven seed mary shelley and we are starting this one in iowa with brian ah who fucking cares <laughs> <laughs> um god damn okay so philip pullman versus mary shelley um i i didn't honestly give this one a whole lot of thought up until right this second so dark materials Frankenstein. Um, really, I, I when I first filled this out, I had it written down as uh, Philip Pullman against C.S. Lewis, so the Christian version versus the atheist version of almost the same story, but not quite, but kinda. And I pulled back because I realized that Mary Shelley absolutely deserved to be in this, and I think she's going to keep going. I'm giving my vote to Mary Shelley. All right, and Mary Shelley picks up that first vote. Stephen, what do you have to say? That life is a voidless, joyless hole, and no sunshine shall ever shine upon me again in my pathetic existence. Because there is no meaning, no justice. I'm going to go read the book of Job now, after I cast my vote for Mary Shelley, because she still has the better book. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye. Hey, I, re I read it seven times after Atwood lost, so... <laughs> All right, and Mary Shelley picks up her her second vote. And while Tolkien did say that not all who wander are lost, it does feel like after that first vote, we're a little bit, a little bit Trained. lost. Trained. Uh, Car Carmella. I feel great. <laughs> How do you feel about Pullman or Shelley? I feel totally fine. <laughs> no melodrama for me. Um... <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I enjoy both of these authors immensely. Um, I think Mary Shelley, I, I love Philip Pullman's takedown of, of Catholicism. I think it's great. I think the commentary is great. I think the dark materials are great. Um, Mary Shelley is very influential, and I have a hard time voting against that uh, in this case. Um, but uh, let's make it interesting. We've already got two votes for Shelley. Uh, I'm going to throw in uh, a uh, my vote for Pullman because I like them both. And uh, I-, I feel great, so I'm just going to vote for where my heart is, and uh, I'm going to vote for Pullman. <laughs> And Carmela showing that she is new to this show and not following the rule of never punt. Uh, but she's going to punt and throw her vote for Philip Pol- Philip Pullman as we want to hear from Jeff. Yeah, having just experienced being on the back end of a 2-2, uh, I don't want to put Jay through that. So Mary Shelley, moving on. <laughs> Mary Shelley quickly moving on and putting... Philip Pullman out of his misery. Pullman Jay. did deserve a nod, though. I mean, he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Jay, did we get this one right? I, I don't know that we're going to get any of these right because I don't think there are really right answers uh, at this stage of the bracket. Um, but I, yeah, I think I went in uh, going with my gut. My gut was that Mary Shelley was 19 years old in England in the 19th century when she invented sci fi. Um, and yeah, that's going to take you a, a, a long way in this bracket. Uh, and I think it's going to take her one more step. Uh, not that it matters because my vote is irrelevant and I'm very, very happy for that, <laughs> frankly. Um, but just Queen Slay, Mary Shelley moves on. <laughs> and Mary Shelley with the 4 1 victory, she gets to face Neil Gaiman in the Elite Eight, but we're not going to talk about that just yet. We are headed to Shirley Jackson versus Lewis Carroll in the Gryffindor region. Uh, we start this one with Stephen. All right, let me see if I can recover here. Um, Shirley Jackson, Lewis Carroll. You know what? I could still perhaps, maybe, small sliver, find some joy from returning to Wonderland. Um, could I somehow bring up the wreckage of my soul reading Shirley Jackson. Um, I enjoy reading her works. Yeah, but there, you know, there's a reason she hasn't penetrated the culture like Lewis Carroll has, because Lewis Carroll is just really, really fun to read and enjoyable. And I think we could all use that about now. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to Carroll. Lewis Carroll jumps out to the 1-0, vict- uh, 1-0 lead. Carmella, I think you're next. Oh, this one is harder for me. Um... And I really love both of them. I mean, Lewis Carroll's got the the cool math stuff, which I know Jay will talk about later, because <laughs> she's she's all about the Lewis Carroll math stuff. Um, I still go back to you know having to read the lottery at age ten, and it just sticking with me for more than twenty years. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's they're they're two very different writers. I mean, one is very whimsical and stoned out of his mind and the other one's more horror and existential crisis um but i'm gonna vote for shirley jackson here and we have a one one tie between lewis carroll and shirley jackson as we head to jeff yeah satirical sci-fi and fantasy is difficult to do uh we've got in the next two matchups two people who have done it very very well um that and the fact that I honestly kind of feel bad for stomping on Stephen's heart 
as much because he's the one person among you ingrates that isn't responsible for Margaret Atwood's early and unjust dismissal. So I'm going to vote for Lewis Carroll. <laughs> Sympathy vote? <laughs> the block has formed, I see. <laughs> Lewis Carroll I don't is need your on pity. the verge of an elite eight. <laughs> Lewis Carroll is on the verge of an Elite Eight victory. Jay, dazzle us with math. I love math. I love math so much. I love when math is explained in a way that makes others love math. I think math can be taught very poorly. I think math can be learned in the wrong context, and it can put people off of it for life. I know many, many, many people... Uh, who have said, oh, I hate math because I had a bad middle school math teacher. And it's such a subject that that goes either way. Nobody is like lukewarm about math. <laughs> um, and, you know, much the same as, as you can have the, the bent of your life kind of uh, shaped by one really good history teacher or one really good literature teacher. Like, not to the extent in society, uh, it happens with math, but man, math is math is the bee's knees, y'all. Um, and now that I've gotten that obligatory commentary out of the way, let's let's get into the heart and soul of what we got going on here. We have um, an amazing author of of mystery and and gothic horror works against uh, somebody who built a childhood beloved universe uh, in something that strikes me as kind of the heart of what fantasy is as a literary genre. It's it's fun, it's imaginative, it's whimsical. Uh, Shirley Jackson is probably the better writer. I don't think that that's too much of a, a hot take to make, but the things she wrote, I don't know, are the things we're looking for in this competition. I think I've said this once or twice before with Shirley Jackson and a few other authors. It's you know, it's it's not the best author. It's the best sci-fi fantasy author. And I, I personally struggle to categorize her works um, as narrowly as those genres, as broad as those genres are. She just, to me, at best nibbles at the edges of them, whereas Lewis Carroll uh, is, is absolutely enmeshed within the fantasy genre. Um, you know, 10 billion Disney bucks can't be wrong. Johnny Depp can do no wrong, et cetera, et cetera. I, I got to give it to my to my guy Lewis here. Uh, I I feel like he invented math puzzles, and that's just cool. Um, <laughs> but no, in terms of the the writing in the scope of the uh, the the comparisons we're making, yeah, Lewis Carroll. I don't think I'm going to lose sleep about getting my vote over Shirley Jackson, despite the greatness that Shirley Jackson is as an author. And Lewis Carroll closes the door on Shirley Jackson, but we want to know, Brian, how hard did he close it? Um, what needs to be said has been said. Uh, Shirley Jackson, very, very qualified uh, author, but I think they did get, I think we all did get this one right. Uh, my vote was also. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> and with the 4-1 victory, Lewis Carroll does head on to the Elite Eight. Who will he be facing? This one, I think, is going to be a very interesting matchup because they're very different authors. We are going to start this one with Carmella. It's Terry Pratchett against Stephen King. This is actually very easy for me. I've said in previous episodes, I'm not super into Stephen King. Uh, I'd rather read Joe Hill. Um, I I can appreciate uh, who Stephen King is uh, in the literary world, uh, that he can make a story out of nothing. 
uh, I've read his book about writing uh, quite a few times, and it's got great advice. I recommend it to anybody who uh, does any sort of writing at all. Um, but for the, for the reason that I didn't vote for Margaret Atwood, uh, who I actually didn't expect to lose in that matchup, um, I need some whimsy and some happiness in my life, and Terry Pratchett gives that to me in spades. Uh, I love him, and I'm going to vote for Terry Pratchett. The whimsical Terry Pratchett with the first vote. Jeff, what say you? It, so Terry Pratchett brings the whimsy and the fun and also the thoughtful and depth of things to just like think about after you're done reading the book of Over King, I feel like. You know, maybe I've only read a couple of Stephen King's books, but man, every time I read a, a Terry Pratchett book, I feel like oh, okay, I've got to think about the thing he's making fun of in that particular book. And one other thing about Pratchett, obviously I was introduced to him at a very young age. My father handed me a book of his and said, here, this is your, <laughs> you're reading this now. And in a lot of ways, my introduction into this entire genre and you, know, you say the reason the bracket exists is other authors. Well, the reason this particular bracket exists and why I was actually inspired to do it has a lot to do with Terry Pratchett. Uh, I, th I think it's also interesting to, to read the trajectory of Terry Pratchett's career and see how much better he got at this shit as time went on. Uh, not that his early books were bad, but some of his more recent books, you, know, you have a lot of authors who later in their career just kind of start mailing it in or doing random stuff. Man, Terry Pratchett was on it towards the end of his career uh and i think that, that's worth something there right uh i don't know if this is gonna end up being three two uh, but uh it's two nil now so uh, uh it's in the rest of y'all's hands uh my vote's terry pratchett and terry pratchett takes a 2-0 lead we want to know jay what do you got here i feel like i'm gonna echo some sentiments of uh previous arguments that i have made when i get to this matchup because Stephen King has strong case to be considered the greatest author of my lifetime in terms of popularity, in terms of acclaim and accolades, uh, you know, impact on the zeitgeist. Stephen King has that and has that in spades. Uh, Stephen King is also uh, a very versatile author. He's he's written romantic fiction. He's he's written drama. He's written obviously horror, but he has also written sci-fi and he has written fantasy. Now, I find his fantasy to be a little more grounded in reality and a little more adjacent to horror than I generally like. But that said, The Talisman is one of my favorite books of all time. And I've talked about this uh, every time Stephen King comes up. It has a very seminal place in my heart. But the question becomes, is that enough to take on, uh, you know, a an absolute legend in fantasy in Terry Pratchett, uh, who has ticked a lot of the boxes we've talked about before. He has the world building. He has the prose. He has the impact on the genre that he wrote in, uh, more so than I think Stephen King has for any one of the several genres he writes. Uh, I think Stephen King moves very, very far in brackets about greatest authors of the 20th and 21st century. I don't think he beats Terry Pratchett in a bracket about the greatest fantasy and sci-fi uh, writer of all time. Um, it's not a super hard choice for me, 
I just wanted to make sure Steven got his day in the sun uh, in my minute. My vote is going to Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett moves on to face Lewis Carroll, but we still need to hear from Brian and Steven. So let's start with Brian. So um, I, I'm feeling a little lazy tonight because <laughs> I can just write on Jay's coattails the whole fucking way because you, you said basically everything I wanted to say. Um, like, you know, I'm just making this shit up, right, Brian? Oh, yeah. But <laughs> okay, good. Car where, where Carmella, I, I have an entire shelf that is nothing but Stephen King novels. I fucking love the man. Um, I love almost everything he's ever done. But in an argument over who's the best fantasy and sci-fi, he's going up against Terry fucking Pratchett. That's a no-brainer. I love Stephen King, but this one he loses. It's Terry Pratchett for nothing. And it is Terry Pratchett for nothing, but we still want Stephen's opinion. Stephen, what do you got to say? Way more Stephen King than I have read Terry Pratchett. Um, much easier books to consume, for one thing. You can kill through a Stephen King novel, basically regardless of the length, in the same amount of time. They all take just a few hours to barrel through. Um, I don't know what that is exactly, but uh, it, it's just, just the way I consume them, I guess. Uh, and Stephen King has that great great gunslinger series it's an awesome epic fantasy with a completely just delightfully like the ending to that series is so and it's it's so telegraphed and you never see it coming and it even tells you to stop reading and you never stop reading because you're an idiot and that reflects back on it so well it, it's a really good ending to the gunslinger series harry pratchett is such a unique and fun voice like you can get any part of a Terry Pratchett novel handed to you, just like one paragraph and read it, and you go, oh, that's a Terry Pratchett thing. Because it's so zany and delightful and wonderful. Stephen King really should have been a absolute tour de force. Could easily have been in the final four. Uh, let's sweep it. Give it to Terry. And Terry Pratchett with the sweep. Uh, which brings our Gryffindor bracket to a close. We still have the championship there, but we're going to get that next episode. Let's head up to the foundation bracket where we're going to start with Jeff. Is it going to be the number nine seed of Kurt Vonnegut or the number 13 seed of N.K. Jemison? I'm watching you. <laughs> you know, if there's anything more difficult than being the number five guy on a 2 2 vote where you kind of know which way you're gonna go it's being the leadoff guy on a vote where you have absolutely no fucking idea how you're going to go because I, it would be real nice to be able to listen to some other arguments here before trying to make my decision because this is the most difficult decision of sweet 16 for me it's two authors i absolutely adore to the extent that i didn't grow up on Terry Pratchett. I grew up on Kurt Vonnegut. There are very few Kurt Vonnegut books I haven't read. Uh, I think maybe Timequake and maybe one other one. I don't know. Uh, the other one, and Jemison, I just got into recently, but man, she is an incredible world builder and an amazing writer. Uh yeah, the, the thing I use to decide between Tolkien and Gaiman is useless here because they're both incredible writers. Uh, I think where the rest of y'all have gone in other rounds is going to influence my vote here because 
you know, like we talked about with Stephen King, like was talked about with Shirley Jackson, writers who really span genres and uh, occasionally dip their toes into sci-fi versus someone who's firmly planted within the sci-fi realm, uh, that should maybe go towards the ones who are more planted in the realm and more within sci-fi. In that sense, I guess I have to give my vote a Jemison. But man, that's a difficult thing to say because I love Kurt Vonnegut. I would recommend anyone read a Kurt Vonnegut novel, any Kurt Vonnegut novel. Go pick one up now. Just go like pick up Player Piano or something and go read it. Uh, and then pick up the Broken Earth trilogy because that's awesome too. Uh, yeah, uh, give my vote to Jemison, and I'm going to be real interested to see how this is going. And N.K. Jemison gets that first vote. Next up, we want Jay's opinion. And my opinion you shall have, uh, for better or for worse on this. It's it's a tough call to make. And again, they're all going to be tough calls from here on out, friends. Buckle up. We, we've got Kurt Vonnegut, who, who, when I think of the idea of a generational voice in literature, Kurt Vonnegut is one of the names that kind of jumps to mind. Um, well acclaimed for his works, and rightly so. There are there's a reason that literature categories and pub trivia focus a lot on Kurt Vonnegut. Everything I know about Cat's Cradle, for instance, is because I'm a Jeopardy fan, uh, and it comes up all the time. Makes me think I should read it. Um, should. I, I should, but uh, you know, beyond that, he's he's known for so many amazing things. Let's get to Slaughterhouse Five real quick because Slaughterhouse Five. For my mileage, and your mileage may vary, might be the work most associated with Kurt Vonnegut uh, in, in the larger masses. Um, and, and Slaughterhouse-Five is it's a wonderful satirical novel that dwells on, again, the edges of being sci-fi. But I wouldn't, strictly speaking, call it sci-fi. It's, it's a philosophical novel, in a sense, that happens to use that as a plate to serve you its yummy goodness. Um, Compare that to the legacy, still ongoing very much, of N.K. Jemisin, uh, especially in the impact that, you know, and not to dig too deep into identity politics here uh, in this bracket, but as, as a Black female author, she's the Black female author in the genre and with good reason. Um, you want to talk about, you know, having that, that concept of world building she she builds them and then she builds more and then she rebuilds them uh and everything she's she's got this way of everything that she touches literarily uh kind of turns to gold um it's it's tough to say that kurt vonnegut isn't a better author than nk jemison and i don't know that that's the argument i'm making the argument i am making is that nk jemison is to me, far and away the better sci-fi writer uh, than Kurt Vonnegut is. Uh, so yeah, N.K. Jemison is going to get my vote on this one. And that makes it 2 nothing for N.K. Jemison. She has Vonnegut against the ropes. Brian, is that the end of Vonnegut? You're muted. You, uh, and mm. Brian's been bitten by the mute bug. Damn it. <laughs> It'd be really uh, embarrassing if that happened on this recording, right, Tim? <laughs> Huh. <laughs> okay, so I have admitted previously that both of these authors, I, I have not actually read anything by either of them yet. Both of these are high up on my to-read list now, 
Cat's Cradle and Slaughterhouse Five are absolutely way up there, and also N.K. Jemison. Uh, I need to do the Inheritance to the Broken Earth, Hundred Thousand Kingdom. Um, both rightly deserve to be where they're at. One of them, where they're at, is less than an hour from me. I'm sticking with my home girl. N.K. Jemison gets my vote. And N.K. Jemison, the 13 seed continues her reign of upsets with a 3 nothing lead. That's enough to move her to the next round, but that doesn't mean we still don't want to hear what Steven has to say. I am genuinely shocked by this. Um, not because N.K. Jemison doesn't deserve to move on. Um, the fact that, that we're, we're doing this to Adams. Wow. Okay, um, since my vote doesn't matter anymore and there's no way it should be a sweep, I'm going to go ahead and cast my vote to Adams. I hear what everyone said, um, but uh, frankly... It's not Adams, it's Vonnegut. No, it's Vonnegut. Vonnegut. Oh, what am I saying? Vonnegut. I had the wrong thing in front of me. Doesn't matter. We Same appreciate point. appreciate you tuning in, though. Same point. Doesn't matter. What the fuck was I saying Adams for? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Well, there you go. I got you an explicit tag, so it was worth the trip. Um, Vonnegut. Yeah, Vonnegut, I do think, is a better writer. Uh, honestly, I enjoy reading his books more. Um because they're quick and pithy, and apparently I, I'm learning as we go through this bracket that that's kind of what I enjoy. So Vonnegut, and, you know, if he was here too, Adams would get my vote as well. But uh, Vonnegut gets the vote now. Well, we'll talk about Adams here in not too very long, uh, but Vonnegut gets a sympathy vote from Steve and Carmela. Did we get this pick correct? Um, I think so. I, I do. Um, I, I've mentioned previously I love Kurt Vonnegut. I, I've read quite a bit of him, um, and I've read Cat's Cradle in an afternoon uh, just because I couldn't put it down. Uh, N.K. Jemison is wonderful. She's a great world builder. Uh, I've mentioned it previously. The City We Became is the best book I had read in the last 10 years, um, and the fact that she's a black woman who did Cthulhu better than H.P. Lovecraft and would send him spending in his grave is just extra points for me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I would have voted for a Jemison, and so I'm glad that, that she's moving on. All right, Jemison is moving on with a 4-1 to one victory. She will take on the winner of Andy Weir and Philip K. Dick. I'm curious to see where this one goes as we start with, at the top of the order, it's Jay. Allow me to get on my soapbox for just a few moments, if I may. Um, Sci-fi is... From my perspective, an easy genre to get into as a reader, but I have found it's also an easy genre to get out of as a reader as as my life has kind of gone on. I grew up uh, really big uh, reading sci-fi and fantasy, you know, Star Trek novelizations and uh, Robert Aspirin we've talked about, you know, were kind of my teenage formative years. Um, as, as life got in the way, uh, my reading was less and less. I, I, I admit it. I'm, I happily admit that I am the least read panelist we have, uh, particularly in this genre. Um, so when I do have a familiarity with an author and an, a nigh encyclopedic familiarity with that author, you're going to hear my voice on it. Um, I admittedly do not have that encyclopedic knowledge of Philip K. Dick. A lot of what I know about him as a fan is, is through reputation. Uh, and through repetition in the context of hearing his name in comparison to some other greats. What I know about Andy Weir is that he has written three novels and that I have purchased three novels and I have read three novels and I have reread 
two of those novels, and I'm currently working on a third reading of one of them because Andy Weir is just this voice of accessibility for a casual reader in the 21st century dipping their toes into the concept of something a little more sci-fi. I've said it before. Um, I love when there's science in my science fiction. Uh, and Andy Weir does that. Um, Andy Weir, I will say, has no business in this level of the competition. But if you think that means I'm going to change my vote now, you are dead wrong. Andy Weir, ride or die. <laughs> Jay riding or dying with Andy Weir, who picks up his first vote. Brian, Andy Weir, or Philip K. Dick. Okay, I said I just said I was riding on Jay's coattails. Where I'm, where this is where I jump off. Um, I I'm not disagreeing that Andy Weir is wonderful. I have reread The Martian numerous times. Can't tell you how many times I've done it. Philip K. Dick, that man, um, that man gave us Blade Runner. He gave us Total Recall. Minority Report, The Man in the High Castle, A Scanner Darkly, his, yeah, uh, it's, it's not even, it's not even an argument, it's not a fight. Andy Weir is great, and I hope that he gets to that level when he gets there, but he ain't there yet. Uh, it's Philip K. Dick, the whole Philip K. Dick evens the series at one apiece. Stephen, what say you? Yeah, for me, when I, when I think of those sort of early, uh, pulp magazine writing, uh, beginners of modern science fiction um the one that stays with me that i reread that i go back to is philip k dick uh anywhere i like all of his stuff everything that i've got my hands on i know he's only got the three books um but i like them they're, they're really well written uh they're really good but i haven't gone back to any of them like i really enjoyed them while i was there but i'd never felt the need to like go back through the martian um and I feel that I need every now and then, you know, I want to pick up a scanner darkly again, or um, like something, some one of his weirder ones, like the Zap Gun, just because I find that title amazing. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and vote for Philip K. Dick. I think he's just a better, more prolific example of what good science fiction is. And correct me if I'm wrong, that makes it two one in favor of Philip K. Dick, Carmela. Will Andy Weir tie it, or is Philip K. Dick moving on? So this is a, a genuinely hard matchup for me. It's not Tolkien gaming hard for me, but it is genuinely hard. Um, I Philip K. Dick is an extremely influential author. Um, read a lot of his stuff, enjoyed it greatly. Um, I reread The Martian at least once a year. Uh, it's if I'm feeling down, I will go and read The Martian just because it's endlessly hopeful um i can you know look at my partner and go i'm alive and i'm in the rover and in make him laugh every single time um just because we both love that book so much uh and I, <laughs> jeff i hate to do this to you i really do <laughs> um because it, it's hard um but i <sighs> I, I'm gonna vote for Andy Weir just because I will. I've never had the desire to reread um, a Philip K. Dick book in the way that I want to reread The Martian all the time. I, I believe Jay has already I... uh, requested the buzzer beater here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have reached a two to two tie, and that does mean that a buzzer beater is available, which means anybody except Carmela is eligible to lodge that buzzer beater. 
Jay frantically waving her hand. Jay, you got about 30 seconds because, I mean, Jeff's going to take an hour. Jeff, Jeff, we're friends, right? Jay, Jay. We, we, we've gone to that place. We've, we've had these battles. We've, we have fought alongside each other in the trenches for Andy Weir. We have fought against each other on opposite sides of the battlefield uh, about Andy Weir. So you are the wildest of wild cards, my friend. Let me explain to you how beautiful uh, the work Project Hail Mary is. Um, it hurt me emotionally at points to read that work because I felt the strain of the enormity of the stakes. And I thought there was going to be failure. Now, books often have happy endings. Um, this one I wasn't sure was going to, about two thirds of the way through, even three quarters of the way through, there's an enormous twist that comes up about 80% of the way through, uh, where a character that you didn't necessarily think you were gonna fall in love with, um, of the admittedly like two characters in this work, um, is in peril in a way that 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 breaks your heart and you you root for the hero in this book and it is probably the best novel i have written or read in years that's all i've got uh it's in your hands godspeed and, and in what is the second reference i've heard to project hail mary tonight because it was mentioned on one of my other podcasts that i listened to uh Jay lodges a buzzer beater for Andy Weir. Jeff, is that enough to sway your vote? Why y'all send me all the two-two ties? Like, come on, man. I'm I so sorry. Here, Jeff. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, look, the answer here is obvious. Everyone knows what it should be. It's Margaret fucking Atwood. God damn it. <laughs> uh, look, I, all, all seriousness aside. Jay, you and Carmela have definitely made me want to pick up some Andy Weir books and read them. Uh, obviously, like, clearly a very talented writer who has three books. I can't move you on to the championship level of this bracket with three books? Yeah, you can. You're going to do it very someone like one. Philip K. Dick, who has an absolute massive bibliography of books that have had massive cultural impact putting you against someone like nk jemison who despite being fairly young also has a pretty substantial bibliography going on there look andy weir's had a great run and uh i think if you hold this bracket again in 10 years this is a lot closer for me than it is now but i think until you Andy develops his bibliography a little bit more until he builds out some of that uh, um, that promise that he very clearly has. This is going to have to be Philip K. Dick. I understand. I do too. I, I, I I'm not I'm not bad. I'm not, I'm not bad about, it at all. about it, Jeff. But you did get your vengeance, and I hope you're happy. <laughs> you set me up for the fall when you voted Andy on in the round of 32 you beautiful monster yeah. yes I was playing the long game by sacrificing my championship pick for you <laughs> and that means Philip K. Dick will move on to the foundation championship to take on N.K. Jemison next week we are moving right along to the heart of gold region of this bracket and our first matchup which will start with brian is the number one seed of douglas adams 
against the number four seed of Octavia Butler. Brian, get us started. All right. So Octavia Butler has done some good things, but this is the part of a uh, section of the bracket for a reason. Um, I I had I, I'm gonna go ahead and spoil my little, little minor spoiler here. I when I filled this out myself, I had three British uh, authors going to the final, and the one that I expected to go up against Tolkien for the championship was Douglas Adam. I this is a stupid easy pick, but uh, there's nothing wrong with Octavia Butler, but she can't she she can't hold a candle to Douglas Adams gets the vote. Douglas Adams with a 1-0 lead as we head to Stephen. Point in, I, I think it's the dark, long dark tea time of the soul where uh, Zaphod Beetle Rocks engages a machine, the total perspective machine that uh, usually if a person uses it because it gives you the full perspective of your significance in the universe and it shows you how insignificant you actually are, it, it drives you insane. But Fortunately for Zaphod Beetlebrox, he happens to be living in a pocket dimension created specifically for him, and so he discovers at that point that he is actually the entire reason for all existence. And I say this not to confirm to listeners who haven't read that book that I'm having a stroke, but to show exactly what what Adams can do with just pure imagination and no restraints. And that is one of the glories of sci-fi uh, fantasy, that there you take those training wheels off that reality imposes upon your story, and you can just go nuts. And Adams does it in a satirical and wonderful way. Um, I, I don't have anything against Octavia. She's just not an author that catches with me. Uh, I, I'm not saying her works are bad. I actually do enjoy her works. But again, she's not one of those ones I'm going to go back to. But... I'm going to go back to the Hitchhiker's books, I don't know, a million more times before I die, um, because they tell me what the meaning of life, the universe, and everything is. So, yeah, Adams. Douglas Adams with the second vote. Got Octavia Butler against the ropes. Carmella, is there hope for her? This is another one that's really hard for me. Um, and even now, I don't know where I'm going to go, because I have flopped back and forth several times leading up to this. Um, Octavia Butler is, I think people are, I think more people are discovering Octavia Butler, which I think is a very good thing. Uh, the pattern of series is, it was, a, it was a very tough for me to get through in some places, um, just cause of the way it deals with bodily autonomy. I think it's supposed to be tough to get through. Um, but it's amazing. And I don't think you get NK Jemison without Octavia Butler, honestly. Um, and, and that can't be, um, understated. A lot of my humor and my own writing has a lot of Douglas Adams influence. Um, and I, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to do this. Um, Cause I love Douglas Adams. I love Octavia Butler. Um, and I, I do think it, it's two different styles of writing. It's comedic writing versus, you know, sci-fi. Um, and I think it's very difficult to write comedy uh, as someone who's tried to do it. It is very difficult. <laughs> um, and he does it well. I, I think uh, he's influenced quite a few people in that regard. Um, and it pains me because I love Octavia Butler, but I am going to vote for Adams here. 
And Adams becomes the only member whose work has a region named after it to make it into the finals of said region, winning this one with a 3-0 lead. But we still want to hear from Jeff and Jay. Let's start with Jeff. Yeah, I, I, I had a lot of difficulty with this decision. Uh, I didn't totally know what way I was going to go. Um, but I think Carmela referenced at least one of the two things that uh, are, are swaying my vote towards Adams here, which is one, comedy is hard, uh, and no one has made me laugh harder on this bracket than Douglas Adams has. Um, incidentally, I did want to uh, to mention, Stephen, I think the, the book that you were referencing was Restaurant at the End of the Universe, um, rather than Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul, which is one of the Dirk Gently books, yeah, right. which, I mean... The Dirk Gently books are also quite awesome and often overlooked when we think Douglas Adams. Uh, um, one of his unfinished books was a Dirk Gently book. Uh, I believe it was called The Salmon of Doubt. Uh, I've read uh, you know, what of that he wrote. <laughs> it was quite funny, quite good. Um, the other thing is uh, something that Carmela referenced uh, previously in this episode and in previous episodes that we kind of need more happy. Uh Octavia Butler is a lot of things. Happy? Not one of them. Uh, and if you don't believe me, you go read the Earthseed books and uh, you come back to me on that one. Uh, so as entertaining as I think it would be to have an Earthseed versus Earthsea uh, Elite Eight, uh, we're not going to get that because Douglas Adams is moving on and quite possibly the sweep since I'm going to give him a 4-0. And it is 4-0. Jay, did we get this one right? I'm I'm torn with how I want to start this uh, portion because Octavia Butler does not deserve to be swept. And I think pretty much all of us can agree with that. Octavia Butler deserves to go down absolutely fighting and scratching and clawing because what Octavia Butler has done uh, for an entire community of not just readers, but writers uh, deserves to be talked about, deserves to be remembered uh, and deserves to be held in the highest of regards. She is one of the greatest sci-fi voices of the last 75 years uh there's a reason she made the sweet 16 and there's a reason she made the sweet 16 somewhat easily i was on the fence going into this because it's such an apples and oranges comparison um there is a weight and a gravitas to what octavia butler writes about uh and a lot of that comes from lived experience and and translating that uh into world building and messaging um that douglas adams just simply doesn't have because he doesn't have to have it because he's not trying to write to make an impact. He's, he's writing to entertain. Um, and he does in his writing entertain and he entertains, I will say better than any single author in this entire bracket entertains the books in the hitchhikers increasingly inaccurately named trilogy are forever rereadable. Um, they are the Monty Python of the written world when it comes to nerd culture. They are the, the benchmark by which geeks like us can recognize each other uh, in, in ways that other works just aren't. He invented, in a sense, the idea of sci-fi comedy. And his sci-fi comedy is also fantastical. Um, 
And I've, I've said before, and I said earlier in this episode, I like some science in my sci-fi, uh, but I want absurdity in my comedy. And he brings that in spades. Um, when he was talking about the total perspective vortex, uh, as, as Stephen mentioned, that image is, is seared into my head just through the written word in a way that I don't always image things when I read them. Um, it is the point of the total perspective vortex is that you literally can't imagine it. Douglas Adams made me imagine it. And for that reason, as much as I hate to say that one of the greatest sci-fi authors of all time is about to get swept, Octavia Butler is about to get swept because I can't, in good conscience, not vote for Douglas Adams. And Douglas Adams gets the sweep over Octavia Butler. Will he be facing the... Let's see, the number three seed, Ursula K. Le Guin, or the number 10 seed of Larry Niven. We're starting this one, our last one of the episode, with Steven. So my initial impulse is to go with Ursula. Um, I, I, I just love those Ursi books so fucking much. Um, at least the first first couple. Um, the last one gets weird. Um, the last one feels like a little bit of a betrayal based on what happens to the characters. Uh is that enough to knock her out? No, no, because I, I love Ursi too much, and Ursi has this wonderful place in fantasy and science fiction, is that somehow nobody has recently tried to adapt it into a terrible, terrible Hollywood movie. So it still remains pure in my head in a way that so many other of the books we discussed have not. Um, so Le Guin gets my vote. Yes, I'm going with it. Le Guin, lock it in. Locking in Le Guin is Stephen. Next up is Carmella. <sighs> no disrespect to Larry Niven, but the main reason Larry Niven has gotten this far is because for some reason uh, Heinlein beat Scalzi and then we had to get rid of Heinlein. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it should be Scalzi versus Le Guin. This would be a much harder fight for me. Um, just based on Left Hand of Darkness, which has such a unique take on gender. Um, I, on that alone, I would vote for Ursula K. Le Guin. But, you know, all of the Hainish Cycle, um, all of Earthsea, I'm sure Larry Niven's great. And he is, but he's not Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, so Le Guin's going to get my vote. And Le Guin gets that second vote, has Niven up against the ropes, and it is up to Jeff to decide whether this is the end. Yeah, look, Niven's fun. Ursula K. Le Guin is a goddamn legend. Move her on. Jeff, un uncharacteristically short and sweet. <laughs> Jay, did we get this right? I was hoping I'd have six or seven more minutes to think this through, Jeff. You've really thrown me to the wolf here. Um, I'm, I'm going to do something interesting, perhaps unprecedented. Uh, I'm going to give you my vote, but first, I want to have a very, very quick conversation with my good friend, Brian, uh, who is muted and thus makes this conversation very awkward at the moment. What? Uh, all right. Uh, Brian, <laughs> I, I take it you have read the works of both Ursula uh, K. Le Guin and Larry Niven? I have read works from both. I have never read a single word either of them has written in my life. That is a shame that I'm willing to admit. So let me ask you, knowing me, who do you think I would be better suited reading for my tastes? I'm curious. I have a thought in mind, but I want an, 
a more expert opinion to help kind of solidify oh. or, or flip that coin for me. You asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean it. I haven't read either of them, and everything I've researched about them is, is amazing. Um, so the vote ultimately would come down to me thinking, well, what what should I read more? What would be a better read for me as the target audience? And Brian, you know me pretty well. So uh, what do you think on that exclusive front? You'll have time to, to talk about you, but... Um... <laughs> Now, see, here's here's where I get the opportunity, if I wanted to, to stack the deck in my favor. Perhaps. I mean, it's three nil. I remind you both that the vote the doesn't, doesn't matter. necessarily matter. Oh. oh, it actually doesn't matter. That's right. I, okay, I so then I'm just finding out, Brian. Who should I read more? Um, you will probably. Damn it! You will probably enjoy the hell out of some. Okay, uh, I was going in thinking that I might give a vote. You know, before it, it got. Uh, to where it was to Larry Niven, because, you know, I've talked about how much I like science in my science fiction, but I mean, Larry if Brian's Niven recommending science, Larry Niven does the science in science fiction very well, you know, what? just, just so he doesn't get swept out. Uh, I'm going to vote for Larry Niven because I think if I go to half price books and I see a book by each of them, I'm probably going to pick up a Larry Niven book first. All right. Larry Niven, not going down without at least the vote. Brian, who do you like better? I really enjoyed the Ringworld novels. The concept of a a solar system where you have the sun, the, the, the star in the center of the solar system, and they actually built around that a ring all the way around with, with the, the ring is, is spinning for gravity, and they built walls to hold in the atmosphere inside that ring. And they have so much land they can't they can't possibly populate it. it just that and, and it's open to space on, on you know, the, 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 the sunward side, I, it just, the, 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 the science that they, that they, they dreamed this up was just so cool. And in addition to that, Ursula K. Le Guin beat my fucking Andre Norton. So I'm voting for Larry Niven. <laughs> and with that, we've brought uh, Larry Niven to a three, two loss in the final matchup of our sweet 16, which means we have solidified our elite eight and brought this episode to a close our elite eight for next episode. We're going to have Neil Gaiman versus Mary Shelley to crown the king of or queen of Gondor, Lewis Carroll versus Terry Pratchett in the Gryffindor bracket. N.K. Jemison versus Philip K. Dick in the Foundation bracket, and Douglas Adams versus Ursula K. Le Guin in the Heart of Gold bracket. How did we do? Tell us on Instagram at Boozy Bracketology on Instagram, Boozy Brackets on Twitter. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash P-T-E-B-B. Every dollar you donate goes right back to making this a great podcast, but if you can't, we understand. Times are tough, but you can still share and subscribe to this pod and leave us a five-star review. Want to get in on the conversation? Head to ptebb.com slash discord to, dis uh, to join our discord channel where we have some fantastic conversation every day. For Boozy Bracketology, I've been Tim. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Steven. I'm Carmela. And I'm Jeff. And we will see you next week as we crown our champion.
Jack is a nasty twitchy habitus. <laughs>